For years, it was Britain and China sitting in a tree. T-R-A-D-I-N-G. It's like having a vulture on the shoulder. You really are beholden to that country's whims and policy desires that go far beyond any specific industry. But in recent weeks, the romance has gone out of the lucrative relationship. Are we going to take a moral stand and say we're not going to have anything to do with companies involved in human rights abuses? What does this signal for UK-China relations in the years ahead? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, is the UK heading for a Cold War with China? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Have you been to Xinjiang yourself? No, I never have. You know, Xinjiang is regarded as the most beautiful place in Xinjiang. On Sunday, I watched Liu Xiaoming, China's ambassador to the UK, being interviewed on the Andrew Marr show on the BBC. It was extraordinary. As the ambassador sat there, Marr played footage of a large group of men, apparently from the Uyghur Muslim minority, bound and forced to kneel by Chinese guards beside a railway. There's a Chinese saying, you, you do not know how big but, China is. Ambassador, that is, not, that is not beautiful coverage, however, is it? Can I ask you why people are kneeling, blindfolded and shaven and being led to trains in modern China? Why, what, what is going on there? I do not know where you get this videotape. Ambassador Liu refused to engage, instead commenting on the beautiful countryside of the region and questioning the tape's origins. People in Xinjiang enjoy happy life. China, of course, is strongly uh, opposed to any torture, any persecution and, uh, and uh, discrimination of any ethnic group people. It was eerie, wasn't it, the way he tried to present Xinjiang as this beautiful province. He directly said that people there were enjoying a happy life. That's Lucy Fisher, defence editor for The Times. She watched the Chinese ambassador's reaction too. When confronted with this shocking footage of Uyghur men kneeling on the floor, blindfolded, shaven, being marshalled onto trains, he just sort of didn't engage with it. I do not know, why did you get this uh, video clip? These have been going around the world. They've been authenticated by Western intelligence agencies and by Australian ex- uh, experts who say these are Uyghur people being pushed onto you, trains ma- let and me, taken let off. Me He wouldn't even look at the screen. He pressed on saying, you know, China is opposed to torture and persecution. It's brought to life the sort of the George Orwell that I read in my youth. 
Did he seem in any way surprised that an interview like that, which he'd granted to the BBC, which is fairly rare, should have been conducted in this way with evidence provided so directly for him? I've never seen him ambushed in that way. Usually I've found authoritarian countries to be much more controlling in the environments in which they allow media to be conducted. I suppose it's his bad fortune in a sense that this absolutely startling clip from drone footage that seems to have been dated back to August last year by some fantastic internet sleuths, that this has sort of emerged in the past week or so and become, you know, a completely viral sensation online. In a way, I am surprised that that he was willing to go on when I think he could well have expected to have been presented with the clip. The Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, has accused China of gross and egregious human rights abuses against the Uyghur population. Could you remind our listeners what we understand to be happening to the Uyghurs? Well, we think that there are around um, a million people from the Uyghur Muslim minority in Xinjiang, the northwest province of China, who are rounded up in what China um, refers to as re-education camps, have been described elsewhere in the West as concentration camps. And in addition to men being rounded up, locked up and subject to what appears to be brainwashing, there's also a process of sterilisation campaign going on uh, against some of the Uyghur women. So this increasingly looks like an attempt at genocide. So we know there are about 11 or 12 million Uyghurs, essentially Muslim, and I think they're what a Turkic people, aren't they, related ethnically to Turks. Has this been going on for some time, this Chinese campaign in Xinjiang? Well, it has. I mean, it's been going on, we think, for around about five years. There are some signs that some of the camps are now being closed down, perhaps because of the increased level of scrutiny from um, the West and other democratic nations around the world. So it is interesting that the UK government is only now really turning its attention um, to this issue at the same time as we're seeing a trade war between Beijing and Washington and also increased concern in the UK about Chinese companies having a role in national critical infrastructure. Are you saying the government might not care so much about what's happening to the Uyghurs, dreadful though it is, if it wasn't for the other political and economic factors. I think we've played a very kind of careful line with China. I think we have to sort of acknowledge that the government hasn't decided exactly what it's going to do on China. I think there are questions to be raised about how and why the UK has allowed itself to become so reliant on China. Recently, I've reported on a report done by the Henry Jackson Society, a very hawkish foreign policy think tank based in London, that pointed out that in 71 critical goods categories, the UK is a net importer and reliant on China for more than 50% of imports. And that stretches across industrial chemicals, metal products, consumer electronics like mobiles and laptops, active pharmaceutical ingredients that are key for painkillers, antibiotics, antiviral drugs. And as one China analyst recently put it to me, it's like having a vulture on the shoulder. You know, you really are beholden to that country's whims and policy desires that go far beyond any specific industry if you've allowed them to become so entrenched in sensitive parts of Britain's economy and and national infrastructure. Now, my recollection is that for a long time, British policymakers thought that China was the most dynamic part of the world economy and you absolutely needed 
to be in there with China if you were going to take advantage of it. That certainly was the thinking. And, you know, we have benefited from it. If you look at last year alone, £8.3 billion was directly invested in Britain by Chinese firms. There's also been huge opportunities for a series of British companies in China, you know, ranging from BP, uh, Diageo, Land Rover Jaguar, GlaxoSmithKline. Then, of course, you've got banks like HSBC, Standard Chartered. You know, it was all great when we had a less assertive China. But now President Xi's administration is overstepping the bounds now that there's more scrutiny on the Uyghurs and human rights abuses, it's getting to kind of crunch time a bit. You know, we need to sort of see where some of these companies' kind of moral lines lie and whether we're willing to allow Chinese companies to have a hold in the UK. Well, that's a very good point for us to start looking at the big decision that Britain made last week about the involvement of Huawei in Britain's 5G network. So to be clear, from the end of this year, telecoms operators must not buy any 5G equipment from Huawei. Just remind the listeners what the decision was. Well, the decision was about the long-term role that we will allow Huawei, uh, a Chinese telecoms giant, in our 5G network. This is a subject we thought we'd already sort of drawn a line under. Back in January, Boris Johnson said that he would approve them a limited role that was subject to a ban on the company being involved in the sensitive core of the network and a market cap. The key thing that's happened since January is that the US, as it's escalated in this trade war with China, it has unveiled a fresh round of sanctions on Huawei that would ban it from having any use of American technology in the development or even manufacturing of its chip technology. And obviously, chips are absolutely essential for virtually all the sort of hardware sort of products, very crucial to the 5G network, the sorts of things that we'd want Huawei to be installing if we were going to allow them to have a role. If the new sanctions prevent Huawei from sourcing the components in the US, they will have to get them elsewhere. UK officials have said this creates an undeniable security risk. So emergency review was launched in May and last week Boris Johnson decided to sort of U-turn on that January decision. He decided instead that from December the 31st, British telecoms firms will not be able to purchase any more Huawei kit to install in the 5G network. And then from 2027, that's the deadline by which any existing Huawei kit needs to be stripped out. That's pretty comprehensive. Now, I think we'd better remind ourselves why it is we had Huawei involved in 5G in the first place. What was so good about what they were doing? For a start, they were one of the only ones that were sort of already here in our mobile network market. And that's part of the big problem here that I think the UK and the US uh, and other Western partners have woken up to, which is that we took our eye off the ball sort of collectively in terms of developing our own technology. It's not a light decision to have essentially banned them from playing any role in our 5G long term. It will lead to a massive delay, they think of two to three years now for the 5G rollout. And obviously, that's just absolutely crucial to our economy. It will also cost, you know, a huge amount of money for the British mobile network providers who will have to seek alternatives, who will have to strip out Huawei kit and replace it. So that I understand this even better, what is so important about 5G that a two to three year delay in our rolling it out, which is what we always say about it, is going to make such a difference? It will be absolutely key to getting going with some of those technologies we don't yet have. And I think increasingly we will have not just millions, but billions more objects worldwide that are connected within the coming decade or two as this sort of the internet of things really takes off. So it delays our adoption of those technologies. So in other words, we fall 
behind other countries in the next technological revolution. That's it. That's that's exactly it. The reason why we have decided to take Huawei out is because of this decision by the Americans. And as I understand it, that's because their decision means that we can no longer guarantee the security of Huawei's involvement. And that had something to do, didn't it, with its relationship to the Chinese state. What is that relationship as you understand it? Well, Huawei says that it is a private employee-owned company that is entirely free from state influence. There are concerns elsewhere in the West about its links to the Chinese state. Its founder is a previous member of the Chinese military. I think there's also a lot of concern about the Chinese legislation brought in several years ago that compels any Chinese company to cooperate with Beijing's state security apparatus. So that was a big concern, you know, people saying it could potentially build in back doors into the technology that could allow the Chinese state to either um, use those back doors for espionage or even potentially for sabotage. One further thing about Huawei, which is we've heard in very recent weeks, which is the company itself is involved in the surveillance state that essentially Xinjiang has become and has actively been involved in incredibly intrusive surveillance of the Uyghur minority. I think it is a huge cause for concern if that's the case. You know, are we going to take a moral stand and say we're not going to have anything to do with companies involved in human rights abuses? It didn't seem to me at the beginning of this year, pre-corona, that that was the sort of direction in which the, the government's foreign policy strategy was going. But, you know, things move very quickly. And it could well be now that with China following its handling of the coronavirus crisis, the situation in Hong Kong, and of course the decision on Huawei, that, that thinking around that is, is changing. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You've pointed out that a very short period of time ago, British governments thought that being close to China, as close as you could be, was not a bad idea. And now here we are, and it's completely different. It would be quite interesting to look at some of the reasons why that's happened. And one of them is the creation of groups of conservative backbenchers, one or more, who are very cross about this. Tell me a bit more about how that's evolved. It's very interesting how much China has scaled the agenda of Tory MPs in recent months. 
And similarly to the Brexit debate where you had sort of your hardliners, your Spartans and your moderates, there seems to be a similar sort of split that, that is um, evolving in, in the Conservative Party between you know, the real hardliners who, who I would say, you know, Ian Duncan Smith is one of the main proponents. Uh, I don't think Huawei should be involved in any of our systems. Uh, I would get rid of them right now. They are run by the Chinese government. They are funded essentially by the Chinese bank. He'd been incredibly vocal on Huawei for him making absolutely clear that 2027 is too late a deadline. He'd like to see it much early deadline for having Huawei kit stripped out of 5G. And then you've got a different group, the China Research Group, run by Tom Tugendhat. In a broad sense, or whether Huawei would be able to hoover up the digital exhaust that is in fact the goldmine to so many uh, businesses today. And Neil O'Brien, sort of younger, ambitious, moderate conservatives who are concerned about China but don't want to take quite as robust an approach. I mean, collectively, they are a very powerful force. I do rather like the way in which when conservatives don't like somewhere, they form a research group about it. But, <laughs> but I, I don't quite understand why would Ian Duncan Smith, I mean, we haven't quite got to full Brexit yet, why has somebody like Ian Duncan Smith, who was a big Brexiteer, suddenly raised this as a big issue? Well, I think it's topical. You know, I, I think in one sense, there are concerns that are brought on by China's behaviour in recent months. COVID, the situation in Hong Kong, the imposition of this uh, draconian security law that effectively outlaws public protest there. But I also think it plays into a wider sort of ideology among some of the hardliners. It, it, it's notable to my mind that it tends to be those real Atlanticists, those who think that, you know, we really need to kind of cleave closely to the US. And I think are probably quite heavily influenced by the concerns exhibited in Washington towards Beijing and want, you know, think we should remain in hock with our allies. How significant has uh, United States influence been upon groups like that? And uh, I suppose a related point, what's the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo doing in London this week? The US Secretary of State flew in on Monday night for a whole slew of meetings on Tuesday. And of course, he met the Prime Minister and Dominic Raab, the Foreign Secretary. But interestingly, he also met some of the most hardline Tory China hawks. What's interesting here is that Pompeo, by meeting with these uh, MPs who are interested and concerned about China, he's he's handing them a real boost. He's a canny operator. I think he knows what he's doing there. America is a superpower. The European Union is an economic superpower. Britain on its own is not really a superpower. So what are we expecting ourselves to be able to do with regard to changing China's attitudes on our own? Well, traditionally, I think the UK has been admired for its diplomatic prowess. And even after Brexit, you know, I think we have seen a good example would be after the 2018 Skripal attack in which Russian intelligence officers attempted to assassinate two Russians on British soil. You really did see Britain able to mobilise its diplomatic clout and not only sort of expel sort of 23 Russian diplomats from the UK, but we saw so many countries across the world follow suit in a sign of solidarity with us. So I think there is the sense that the UK can still, you know, marshal partners in a diplomatic sense. But I suppose what I'm saying is I can't see either over the Uyghurs or over Hong Kong how our relationship with China is going to do anything but get worse and the question is going to be how we alter or whether we can alter what China is doing. And I suppose the point is, 
I also can't see how we could possibly do that on our own. We need to build alliances. There's been a lot of talk in government circles about trying to knit together the five eyes with a D10, you know, 10 other democracies, to try and form a bigger kind of clique in the world of countries that have similar values, that can speak with one voice. We've certainly seen the UK, and when it comes to Hong Kong, we've been releasing joint statements with Australia, with the US, you know, we've been kind of close liaising with Canada. I think the moves uh, that we're going to see next will be very similar, trying to get, you know, a part of a bigger group with collective clout together to try and stand up to China. How do you think China is going to react to those attempts? It's a a good question. You know, we've seen China's huge military modernisation programme. It's possible we could see China beginning to kind of flex its muscles a bit more in, in terms of its hard power or putting on a slightly more sinister, menacing posture with exercises and so forth. Have you met any foreign policy analysts who said one of the possibilities is that China might actually decide it's had enough of all this. It would rather go back to the position it occupied slightly earlier, which is economic growth first, world self-aggrandizement second, and will become more amenable. I haven't heard people say that, mainly because one thing that's very interesting about China is you know, they are very methodical. They publish plans. They have set out where they want to be by you know 2030, by 2040. And, and a lot of those economic goalposts are driven by an expansionist plan, which we're seeing kind of unfold at the moment. I don't think that China is going to abandon its aims, you know, its modernization plan. I don't think we're going to see China just sort of say it doesn't want to engage in any areas that are a bit sticky when it comes to sort of diplomacy with, you know, medium-sized economies like the UK. There are huge fears now in, in diplomatic circles that, you know, what China has done in, in Hong Kong means that, you know, it could well be gearing up to seize Taiwan by force. And I think that that would be the real crunch point. You know, you'd have to see what would the West do there? Would they see that as a red line and have to take action? Or, or would they would they allow a country like, like Taiwan to essentially be invaded? Wow. That is a mind-blowing possibility, because if that becomes possible, then frankly, it becomes possible for any large country to do anything to its neighbours. Well, exactly so. We don't know what's going to happen, but certainly there seems to be a ramping up of rhetoric in China about making Taiwan, uh, you know, fall into line. Do you have a feeling that when we look back on 2020, we'll say two things about it at least. One, it was the year of the pandemic. And second, it was the year that the Cold War with China began. I think that is an eminent possibility. As you say, it's hard to see how relations with China improve in in the short term. Huawei is going to lead to all sorts of ripple effects. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Defence Editor at The Times, Lucy Fisher. You can read more of Lucy's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Leona Hamid, Asia Fuchs and Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella, music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. And you can subscribe for free. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. 
Also in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well informed on the coronavirus and so much more every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe today to find out more. See you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.